the AFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mojo Sports AFL Show. I'm your host, Callum Dunk. Joining me on the show tonight uh, is Ash and Nathan. Unfortunately, Jake can't be uh, joining us tonight due to uh, a family crisis, but um, I'm sure he will be back with us next week. Uh, boys, so many hot topics. I feel like we're in for a long one tonight, but what a great round of footy. Um, Indigenous round is always a great thing that the game does really well, and it's only got bigger and better in years gone by. and. Uh, we've got coach departures. We've got interca- interchange muck-ups. It's been a fascinating uh, weekend for sure and some cracking games of footy, which um, we will talk about in the meantime. But the biggest news from uh, yesterday, uh, as we record tonight, so Monday, Tom Morris comes out and breaks the story that Damien Hardwick, after 13 years, has decided to step away from coaching the Richmond Footy Club, the team that he took to three flags in four years, basically turned the club around with Brendan Gale and Peggy O'Neill. I was genuinely stunned when I saw this news, uh, you know, going around social media um, last night. And, you know, good to see Tom Morris back in the media as well. He's made a mistake and, for him to get a scoop like this um, after starting a new job with SEN is going to be fantastic for him. So well done to Tom Morris for breaking the story. Uh, but yeah, just such a, such an odd thing. And, you know, with the Tigers, you know, losing a game that they, you know, should have won on the weekend to Essendon dream time at the G and, you know, the chances of finals slipping away for the Tigers, um, yeah, it's just Damien Hardwick's decided to to pull the pin. Uh, Nate, I'll throw it to you first, mate. How are you going and what are your thoughts on the Hardwick situation? Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of us, even 24 hours after the story broke, um, it's a little bit of a hard one to wrap, wrap your head around. It's um, it's one that's come out of left field and probably not the coach that I thought was going to be the first one to go in season 2023 either. Um, I guess, as you sort of said, he's been at the helm for a long time and, you know, listening to um, his press conference, it sort of boiled down to, you know, a lot of burnout, which comes as no surprise. Richmond's a really big club in the scheme of the AFL and, um, you know, especially since 2017, they've been, you know, one of the premiership favourites going into every single year and the scrutiny and pressure that comes with that. It can only, you know, make on a coach to the point where they've got to pull them in. I guess the thing that I find... Um, I guess interesting is would this have happened if they held on and won on Saturday against Essendon because, you know, it sort of seems sudden and whether it was, you know, preempted or whether, you know, the loss um, on Saturday night was sort of the icing on the cake for him to make that decision as well. I'm not too sure, but it's an interesting talking point. But I guess the other thing as well is, is that, Richmond, even though they're a game and a half outside the eight right now, their list is probably, you know, further away from a flag than, you know, their position on the ladder potentially says. So the other thing is, has Dimmer sort of seen the light and decided to get out early um, and give someone else an opportunity to, you know, take the, take the reins and, 
you know, try and lead Richmond into their next phase, whether that's a bit of a rebuild on the fly before they become a premiership contender or whether they go into a full rebuild mode. I think he's sort of seen the light early and hasn't got caught up in, you know, potentially what Clarko or Adam Simpson have seen themselves getting caught up in and have decided to leave early and on good terms as well, which I think for him is a really positive um, you know, outcome given how successful he has been as a head coach. Yeah, and we'll talk about the position that Richmond finds themselves in um, a little bit later on. But, uh, Ash, what were your thoughts when the news broke last night? Well, yeah, I think like um, Nathan mentioned, like most people, was pretty surprised. Um, And I I couldn't help but feel that it was a bit sort of weird. I think you rarely hear about coaches being sacked 10 weeks into the season, let alone leaving on their own terms, 10 weeks into the year. So he says he's burnt out. And I'm looking at some of the vision today and the photos taken of him and he's all smiling and laughing. To me, it sort of seemed like, you know, he left the club out to dry a little, a little bit. And don't get me wrong here, he's been amazing for them, three flags and everything. But I, I just wonder if he's sort of thrown the club under the bus a little bit because they sort of, weren't expecting it. And look, their season probably isn't going to go into finals or deep into finals. So I don't think it really matters that much in the grand scheme of things. And it helps, you know, the president and the CEO and all the board members find a replacement sort of, sort of not as rushed, but it just seemed really odd to me. The whole situation just seemed really peculiar. Peculiar is a good word to describe this situation. And um, there's been a lot of talk about what Richmond should do. Should they go for, you know, the, the Craig McRae type and, you know, get some fresh, you know, fresh blood in the coaching box or whether they should look at getting an experienced coach. And uh, Kane Corns on Footy Classified last night uh, was pretty big on, you know, Richmond saying, why wouldn't you uh, – you know, hold out the candy bar, I suppose, for Ken Hinckley um, with the way that he's going at Port Adelaide at the moment. He's out of contract at the end of the year. Um, so, Ash, I'll throw it back to you again. Would you, as Richmond, go for an experienced coach or would you be looking to get a first-timer? Uh, probably a first-timer, and I think that's because Richmond are probably closer to rebuilding than to the contending stage. So you look at some of the other coaches that are probably available, you know, um, Ken Hinckley, Adam Simpson, potentially, if he leaves West Coast. Um, Stewie Jew probably might be available at the end of the year. Nathan Buckley, obviously, still still out there. But I think I, I'd much rather, I think it's, it's more beneficial for Richmond because they're closer to rebuilding their contending, go for someone fresh and sort of have a bit of a new beginning with the club. And, yeah, that's what I think. We all sort of seem to think that Richmond is on a a rebuild track uh, because of the amount of currency that they've given away in terms of their draft picks and their, well, not their salary cap, but particularly their draft picks for Hopper and Taranto last year. And I don't think you could blame Richmond for making those moves considering they got done pretty dirty in the finals last year and they should have won that game against Brisbane if it wasn't for, you know, kicking inaccurately and a dodgy score review. Um, So 
part of me does think that Richmond has overestimated the quality of their list, but at the same time, I don't blame them for going getting someone like Taranto. And Taranto's been pretty good for Richmond. I know that there's a lot of flack about his disposal efficiency, but he finds the footy. They needed an inside mid so that they could play Dustin Martin forward. And um, Hopper, you know, hasn't been at his best, but there's no doubt he's going to be a solid player. He's coming into his prime. So, um, Nathan, I'll throw it back to you. What are your thoughts on, you know, what Richmond should do in terms of a coach search? Yeah, I definitely don't think there's a coach in the AFL that's like a head coach right now that would be suitable for this job, I don't think. We talk about coaches that have burnt out, you know, Hardwick's now another casualty of that. Hinkley's been a long-time coach at Port. Stewie Jew and Simpson, probably the other coaches that are questionable in their helms, have all been there long-term. So, you know, the decision for them to go from a you know, long-term coaching range to a big club and take over there probably isn't ideal. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, like an established assistant. You know, you look at some of the assistant coaches over the years that have gone on to be head coaches, you know, more recently someone like an Adam Kingsley um, going to the GWS. Uh, look, I don't have a name on the top of my head of who that could potentially be, but, you know, potentially there's an assistant coach floating around either at Richmond or elsewhere that, it has time in that second row and are ready to step up. And because I don't necessarily think Richmond's going to be going full rebuild either. They're going to be in that sort of happy medium space where they're blooding kids, but they've also got top-end talent uh, good enough to be able to keep them relevant as well. Obviously, you know, you've got some older players, you've got Ginger Martin, Revolts, but good young core of a Tom Lynch and, you know, you talk about your Hopper and Taranto as well. So, you know, I don't think they're ready to bottom out as a club. So I think that's probably where they need to land from a coaching perspective as well. Yeah, I see Richmond this year and probably next year, you know, sitting somewhere between that ninth to, you know, probably eight, eight to 12, somewhere like that. I don't think they'll be playing finals this year just with the, the injury list that they've currently got, but I think all of us were pretty bullish on the Tigers at the start of the year. I'm pretty sure I had them third. Ash, you also had them in the top four. Would that be right? Yeah, yeah. And what did you have them, Nathan? I had them top four too. Yeah, so um, it'll be interesting to see how they go. There's been, you know, talk of um, some, you know, assistants that have been around for a while. Um, Josh Carb was brought back to, to Port Adelaide after having a few years in the Sandfall and Fremantle as a potential, you know, successor, successor to Ken Hinckley. But uh, if Port Adelaide had gone the way that they are at the moment, um, I don't see why Ken doesn't get another contract. Um, and I was one of those people who were cheering for his exit uh, after that showdown loss <laughs> in round three, but uh, two months in footy can make a big difference. So uh, it will be interesting to see how that plays out. And Andrew McGualter, the former St Kilda player and longtime Richmond assistant coach, he'll be taking the reins for, for this weekend. But we wish Damien Hardwick the best of luck and he's done a great job for the Tigers. Now, West Coast ventured down to Launceston on the weekend and they took home the Harley Reid Cup. Um, my God, I have not seen a performance like that from a team 
for quite some time. And part of me is sympathetic to West Coast due to their the nature of their injury list. But at the same time, I don't have so that much sympathy because of their list management choices and list management strategies of keeping all these 30-plus players. So technically, they haven't even bottomed out yet. So things are only going to get worse. Ash, how did you see the West Coast Eagles on the weekend? And, you know, if you were them and they do end up getting pick one at the end of the year, would you look to trade that as West Coast and maybe get three top 10 selections for that this one kid that we all think is the next Dustin Martin? Yeah, definitely. And I, I think I saw a stat somewhere earlier in the week that there hasn't been a number one pick who has won a flag with the team that were drafted to in over 20 years. So not only are we talking about the potential go-home factor for Harley Reid, but very rarely does the the, um, the number one pick in a draft class sort of end up being um, the, the best player, you know, five, ten years on. So I think you're much better off getting, you know, a good two, three, four plays in that sort of first round, even up to, you know, pick 20 range. You can still get some really quality talent, and this is meant to be a draft class, which is sort of pretty stacked. So that's definitely what I'd be looking at for West Coast. And in terms of their off-field performance, it's not often you get done by, you know, 116 points by a team that was 18th. So as bad as West Coast were, I think, this sort of puts a new perspective into our eyes of just how bad it can sort of be to kick four goals as well. Pretty terrible. It was the lowest number of scoring shots in the club's history. And I think it was their second lowest score of all time or something like that. It was uh, phenomenal uh, scenes. Now, Nathan has been really strong in his bashing of Hawthorne and their choices over the uh, the off season, and I agree to an extent. But you cannot judge Hawthorne off this particular game. It's essentially, you know, playing against witches' hats in an internal trial. I see more competitive spirit from the Div Twelve Resies, my beloved Div Twelve Resies that I play with in Adelaide. So. Uh, what are your thoughts on West Coast, Nathan? And uh, do you have any redeeming qualities for the Hawks? I don't have any redeeming qualities for the Hawks, I don't think. I think, you know, it's always a fun little argument when you go, oh, geez, I wonder what it would be like if one of the worst AFL teams plays against like a Sandford or a VFL or a Waffle team. And we saw that on the weekend because that's quite literally what it was. You know, in all honesty, if West Coast have a healthy list, which they don't, probably half the players that played on the weekend are playing Waffle. Um, and that's the reality of the state of West Coast right now. And, you know, I, I do feel bad for someone like an Adam Simpson who, you know, has been a very, very good coach for a very long time for arguably, arguably the most powerful club, or if not one of the most powerful clubs in the AFL right now. Um, and... I don't think he should get the sack. I think he should choose whether or not he continues to coach this team or whether he um, steps aside and lets the next coach enter into a rebuild because at the moment, as Ash sort of alluded to, there's been a lot of really, really poor um, list management uh, decisions made for 
trading away draft picks for mature age players like uh, for Tim Kelly that haven't worked out the way they'd and um, that hope rather. Um, Nick Natanui, Luke Shuey, Elliot Yo, Dom Sheed, uh, Shannon Hearn, you know, the list goes on of these veteran players that are tied, Jeremy McGovern, you know, players that are tied up for, you know, two, three, four years on, you know, really big salary contracts that either have barely seen the park this year or in the case of someone like Nick Natanui, will probably never see an AFL field again. Um you know, as you sort of mentioned, Callum, they're yet to bottom out because of that reason, um, which puts even more emphasis on the on you know their drafting in the next three to four years. And you know, if I'm West Coast, do I split the picks this year? Maybe Harley Reid is probably someone that you do want at your footy club. Um, you know, it's a it's a fair argument that you know down the track that they may look to split split picks. But I think you know, in the case of Harley Reid, when you've got someone as talented um, a player as he is, get him in because worst case scenario is he decides to go home in two or three years and you do what North Melbourne and what Melbourne have done with Jackson and Horn Francis over the last couple of years and you get a neat little package in return of established players and or uh, more draft capital, which, you know, is, you know, really, really valuable at this stage in the AFL, especially considering the kids coming in um, are more and more AFL ready than they've ever been as well and the impact that the kids are making immediately um, is so much more than what it had, what it has been for the last ten years, I reckon. Absolutely, and Nathan, I just want to throw this back to you because you're in WA. How's the media over there portraying the West Coast Eagles and and Fremantle to some extent? Because like Fremantle got the win on the weekend, however, their season hasn't probably been to what the expectations were. Yeah, I'll probably touch on, well, overall, I think it was maybe two or three weeks ago um, on the front of the West Australian, which is the main newspaper over here, there was a eulogy written um, for both the clubs to say that WA footy is dead and, you know, it's it's the worst state it's ever been in, uh, you know, in history of the footy um, community over here at WA. And, you know, now three or four weeks later, the, uh, the term flag mantle has well and truly been thrown around again. So I think, you know, Rio's found form, but the West Coast, you know, it's probably similar to what Port Adelaide went through um, at the start of the year with Ken Hinckley, where there's calls for Simpson, um, but there's also calls for, you know, mass clean-out um, from a um, you know administration perspective as well because I don't think just one person goes in this situation. I think, you know, the whole, the whole house has to be cleaned out and starting again because you can't continue keeping the same administration and leaning on the they've made and hope that things will change. I think you need a, a fresh vision and fresh faces and fresh minds in that pop up now to get it back on track to the dominant force that it's been for so many years. And I think the most unfortunate thing for West Coast is the 100,000-plus members now that are suffering because of this. You know, I've got workmates that have told me that they've waited 10, 15 years on a wait list to get a membership and this is what they've been served up now for waiting so long to get on such an exclusive membership list. So, you know, from that perspective, it's not just the club, it's the members and the fans um, and the players that are hurting just as much as anyone else in this situation. So uh, it's disappointing, but, you know, I do see light at the end of the tunnel 
for West Coast if they make the right decisions um, throughout the back end of this season, I think. Yeah, and just touching on your point with Adam Simpson as well, I think he is a premiership coach. Uh, He has the right to make that call on his own, but I don't know whether I see him wanting to go with that full-scale rebuild. And that's going to link into my next question, which I'll throw to Ash. Ash, do any of these West Coast players – the ones who are closer to 30 or 30 plus have any genuine currency on the market that the club could look to trade at the end of the year to maybe get some extra picks inside your seconds and third rounds, which they could eventually, you know, trade, you know, bundle and trade up to get some additional top 20, top 30 picks. Potentially. But I think the thing that's sort of stopping a lot of that from happening is not only is their list pretty old, but pretty injury prone as well. So a lot of the players who would have probably had currency in the past, as years have gone on, sort of particularly in the soft tissue department, uh, they're just losing a lot of the value which they would have had. Um, I still think potentially Jeremy McGovern might have a little bit of currency. Um Dom Sheed, who, who's probably not as old, he's only, what, 27, 28, but he's been playing some really good footy over the last sort of month. Other than that, I don't really see them having a lot of currency. I think, you know, they would have to have close to 10 players on their list, sort of 30 or above. So, look, I, I appreciate the um, the last-ditch effort a few years ago with Tim Kelly to sort of bring him over, hope for a premiership, sort of similar to how, I guess, Richmond were earlier with um, Taranto and Hopper, but I think... It's sort of a, a, a go big or go home situation. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for them. And sort of they've got to work out this list problem, which they have, and getting rid of those older players as quickly as possible. I don't think anyone ever criticised West Coast for going so hard after Tim Kelly. Um, I think the thing that people have been disappointed by is how much they paid to get him. Obviously, a big salary. Um, but you know, essentially Geelong traded Tim Kelly and then got in Jeremy Cameron. So, you know, that's, that was obviously a win for Geelong considering they won the flag last year, but it's funny how these, we look back on these trades a couple of years down the track and actually decide, you know, who, who the winner is long-term and we'll be doing the same thing with the Horn Francis trade in a few years time because we see Sheasel and, and Warlord doing, you know, quite well for North Melbourne. So, uh, yeah, I, with West Coast, I think the only um, couple of players that genuinely have some currency would be McGovern, but he'd want to go to a club that's genuinely, you know, contending for another flag. I could see a possibility that a club looks at someone like a Jack Darling um, you know, just like that extra piece of the puzzle, trying to win a flag. Um, I don't see West Coast trading Tom Barras, but I know there were a few clubs who were sniffing around last year, but I'm pretty sure he's a WA um, boy and he didn't want to, to go anywhere. So I feel like he'd be off the table. It's just more if there was any Victorians who wanted to go back and, 
You know, the other one is Andrew Gaff. He hasn't been the same player, unfortunately, since that hit on Brayshaw in 2018. So, you know, if he was to have a change of club and, you know, go go back to a club and try and win, a, you know, a premiership, it might be a good redemption story considering he did miss that 2018 flag. But um, we've spent a lot of time talking on these two topics and congratulations to West Coast who are, the momentary winners of the Harley Reid Cup. So uh, let's move into the North Melbourne and Sydney game. And, geez, this was going to be one of the upsets of the year considering Alistair Clarkson has taken some time uh, away due to the Hawthorne racism uh, allegations that have been going on. And, geez, that's that's been an absolute shambles of a investigation. Um you know, the coaches haven't been able to, to prove their innocence and uh, the wheels are turning very slowly um, with that AFL investigation. And, you know, it was going to only be a matter of time until someone sort of um, said this was a bit too much. And that's what Alistair Clarkson did. And, you know, with the awareness of mental health issues going on in the game at the moment, good on him. Um, we didn't get to talk about this last week um, because we'd already filmed our episode, but think it dropped the day after, but um, for North Melbourne to show that kind of effort and determination, considering they had six players out, that was a tremendous achievement. Um, and I don't think anyone could fault their effort. The debut of George Wardlord, as we talked about, was great. Good one for your AFL fantasy teams. But for North Melbourne to genuinely butcher their interchanges, for that to cost them a game, geez, that was hard to watch. I watched the last five minutes of that game thinking North Melbourne were going to win, uh, and I was just flabbergasted. I I just don't – like that one thing sums up the luck of this club for the last five – proper five years. Like, it's just genuinely awful. And I feel sorry for all the players who gave their heart and soul, blood, sweat and tears on the weekend. And for that to happen, um, yeah, that's pretty brutal. And I think the interchange Stuart for North Melbourne would have had a fair few sleepless nights. Nathan, what are your thoughts on the, the Kangas and their butchering of the interchanges? It's um, oh, it, look. It would have been a great story, and you know, teams often tend to get up um, the following game once you know a coach departs or something like this happens in the club. And you know, it, you talk about like the shin bone of spirit, and they kind of embrace that. And you know, then they're not going to have a lot of opportunities to win games of football um, for the remainder of this season. And I think, you know. Sydney was really vulnerable and they sort of saw that and and went hard at them. And to to lose a game in such fashion, it's it's disappointing. But you also look at the other side of the coin and, you know, Sydney beat them technicality, I guess. So, you know, if I was Brett Ratton, um, you know, obviously disappointment. Disappointment for the club, the young players, the fans, Clarkson, who's, you know, 
been part of the club, um, you know, for the time being as well. But, you know, you also turn around and, and look at it as a positive as well that, you know, Sydney, who were the runners-up from last year and, you know, outside of a technicality, they, they did those four points, I guess. So um, it's such a North Melbourne way to lose, um, as you said, Callum, especially the way that they've gone the last five or six years. Um, but, you know, look, it's positive. They've got young kids playing now, um, and I think those young kids will hang around for the rest of the year. So they've at least now got a nucleus to be able to build around and have some promise for their fans going forward, uh, which is a massive positive for them. Yeah, and you see the likes of Sheasel in the Guts, Warlord, Phillips, Larky, Zerha, you know, you see like a good core of players, good core group of young players, but, you know, Jack Zebel tries his guts out every week. But, you know, some of those players that they've bought in on slightly overpaid wages, if we're being nice about it, uh, they're not standing up for, for North Melbourne, unfortunately. And, you know, we've seen some commentators in the media be quite quite critical of, of their um, recruits, particularly down back. But um, I still think that there is a lot of promise at North Melbourne with some of those kids that they've got in there. And I hope that they just get the time to play together and gel because that's how you're going to accelerate the growth of this team. And, um, yeah, it's very... It's disappointing for North Melbourne, but you could see good signs for the weekend. Um, Ash, how did you see the interchange uh, muck up? Well, I think you boys have sort of summed it up uh, pretty straightforward. It's um, it's a shocking way to, to lose a game. The penalty probably, I can understand a free kick. I'm not sure if the 50 is sort of warranted, but, you know, the rules are ruled. And... Um, that's what happens, and, and nothing you can really do about it. Shame on it. Uh, shame, it's a shame about it. But, um, yeah, that, that, that's pretty much it. Move on and uh, try not to mess it up that badly ever again because that was uh, appalling. And like you mentioned, Callum, probably a few sleepless nights for the interchange steward. Yeah. it's. Uh, I don't think I've seen a team go that close to their interchange limit. For, for quite some time. Most teams try to aim for the 70 mark and then leave those five for, you know, dire sort of situations if the game's in the balance or if there's a player that's cramping. And that's what happened. A player cramped and they needed to get off the field and that's what caused that extra interchange. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a pretty tough pill to swallow. But, um Yes, Sydney did not deserve the four points in this game. And as Nathan said, they got off on a on a technicality in this one. But let's go head back to Friday night. Uh, I actually ventured to this game and, and sat in the rain, which is something that I never do. I'm a, a classic fair weather supporter. Um, I did not expect Port to win this game. As always, I bet against Port and they always win. So... Uh, it's funny how things work out sometimes, but um, you could just see with Port Adelaide the the midfield of Ro- Rosie, Port Adelaide's future captain, which I've been harping on about for weeks, in Zach Butters uh, and Jason Horn Francis. And um, 
One person who I think was a little bit underestimated in their contributions of the game was Willem Drew. Now, Clayton Oliver still had 27 touches, but he didn't have the same influence um, that he's had in weeks gone by. And that's the thing that you can do with tagging these days. They can still get the touches, but how meaningful are those possessions that they're getting? Um, Without a forward line, well, Port's regular forward line, I thought it was a fantastic performance. No Dixon. No Marshall. Rioli was still suspended. Fantasia is arguably best 22 when he's full health, but hasn't been at full fitness for a couple of years now. But um, the fact that, you know, they were able to get away with a makeshift forward line with Ollie Lord, Jeremy Finlayson, and then the Mosquito Fleet, as they call it, Francis Evans, McEntee, you know, I thought it was a really positive sign. I think it kind of showed a little bit of a blueprint to play against Melbourne and, I still think if Mel, I'm not too worried about Melbourne from this because Melbourne played a good 25 minutes of football in this game. Um, if they had a played come to play for a quarter and a half, quarter and a half, Port would have lost this game. And um, something that I'll touch on with Port Adelaide is their inaccuracy when kicking for goal. It is the most underrated stat in football, um, and this happened a few weeks ago when you know, that Port got the win over the Bombers. They kicked 12 goals, 20. Um, So, you know, Fremantle missed the eight in 2021 because of inaccurate kicking at goal. And if they had have kicked at the league average, they would have made the finals. And I think they would have made like top two or something ridiculous like that. So uh, it's an underrated stat. And uh, that was something really positive from the weekend. So uh, Nathan, what were your positive? positive uh, moments from the weekend? Yeah, probably before I pick my, my team that I want to talk about, I want to jump on the back of your Port Adelaide. And, again, it kills me to talk about it, but, you know, hats off. They're playing really good football. And this is a bit of a, you know, fork in the road sort of a game for them where, you know, they, they lose and you go, yeah, okay, they're a good team, but they're not quite there. But, you know, this win now really solidifies their seven-game win streak. But also the fact that they are – a genuine top four contender now, I think. And I've written down and, and watching him play on Friday night, the game of Zach Butters was a bit of an I've arrived sort of a game. Um, I belong. I'm an elite midfielder, ball winner, ball user. Um, and I think as you've sort of spoken about throughout the season so far, Callum, you know, the, the midfield of Rosie, Butters, and Horn Francis with the sprinkling of a Travis Boak and an Ollie Wines and a Willem Drew in there is really starting to become a formidable, you know, combination in there, however you choose to dice it up in there. And, um, you know, with Dixon and Marshall out, I thought Port Adelaide sort of adjusted to the conditions really, really well to play that wet weather football um, despite their inaccuracy, I think. So, yeah, Port Adelaide's really humming at the moment. But... The team that I want to talk about, the team that I wrote off weeks and weeks ago is Fremantle, and it's a big one over here, and are we talking flag mantle? Are they back? Are they top eight contenders? I was at the game on Saturday, and everyone said, oh, Geelong are undermanned, you know, blah, 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 whatever else. And, yes, that is true. But, my God, Frio were very, very good. They won the ball of the swords. They were, you know, lowering the eyes and finding their forwards. They were ferocious. They tackled hard. They hunted the football. And defensively, they were very, very impressive. Um, 
Luke Ryan did a fantastic job on um, uh, on Jeremy Cameron and kept him goalless. Ran with him all game and, and did a really good job. Um, Alex Pierce, even though Hawkins kicked three goals, I thought you know made Hawkins work for everything that he got. And the goals that he kicked were like you know tough Andrew Lyons set shots where you know you sort of want the balls kicking the ball from. Um, Nat Five, you know Nat Five was you know instrumental in the midfield. I think it's sort of what Fremantle has been looking for. Obviously, with the departure of David Mundy, they lost that bigger bodied all-winning midfielder that sort of stabilises everything for Sarong and Brayshaw specifically. And then from what I sort of saw, having Fife in there is that bigger-bodied midfielder that, that you know, sort of um, requires that attention just because of who he is and his size sort of meant that Sarong and Brayshaw had more um, space and more time to play with, which really sort of um, meant that they could unleash themselves out of the midfield. And the other one that I want to talk about is we've spoken about their inability to kick goals and their efficiency going forward, 76% disposal efficiency with a 62% you know, efficiency going inside forward 50. So now Fremantle have sort of changed the way that they're going in into their forward 50. It might not be the sexy names of a Hawkins or a Cameron. You know, instead, it's an Amos and a Treacy and a, a Luke Jackson who's trying to become a forward. But, you know, they're sort of systematically working their way down the field and putting the ball into the 50 now. So, look... It's exciting uh, being over here in Perth uh, now that Fremantle are back up and about. Uh, it was really promising signs um, uh, and so much more for me being there in person to see it as well. That was, you know, positive that I took from the weekend. And Ash, how did you see the weekends and uh, are there any games that really stood out to you? Well, I don't think necessarily games that stood out to me, but I think a few individual performances, which is um, sort of what I, what I took out from the week. Um, Sort of what you mentioned, Callum, and going back to the last topic about North, I feel like now that we've had a good sort of um, 10 weeks of the season to look at it, the Jason Horn-Francis trade has genuinely worked out to be a win-win. I think on one hand, you've got um, Horn-Francis, which has really bolstered um, Port Adelaide's midfield, you know, Rosie and Butters, and that's genuinely a really, really exciting young core. And then for North to get Sheasel and Wardlaw, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a win-win for me. Um, another player, dream time on Saturday, and Zach Merritt. Um, I think he sort of had a big um, turnaround in his career. I guess you can almost say. Um, just three years ago, I think it was, he was dumped from the Essendon leadership group, and I don't think many would have sort of seen um, the comeback which he, he sort of had. Best on ground easily, almost forty touches, twelve contested possessions, nine score involvements. Um, it, it was genuinely one of the better games you'll probably see from, from a pure midfielder. Um, someone else who I think has sort of gone, I don't think under the radar, but I think with some good performances from youngsters like Dacos and Sheasel, I don't think many have sort of talked about Will Ashcroft as much as he probably deserves. I think watching him um, pretty closely on, on Saturday, his work rate just to get from contest to contest is, um, you know, as good as you'll find from some really senior players. And just how clean he is, you, you will hardly ever see him fumble. So I think for a first-year player who's only played a handful of senior games, I think he's been really, really impressive. And um, just following on from what you said, Nathan, about Freo and their forward line, um, you know, you've got Tabana who's injured, you've got Fife who sort of went back into the midfield, and you've got Jai Amos and um, Josh Tracy 
who have, you know, really stood up and it's sort of looking like the future of their forward line um, for Frio. They obviously traded out um, Rory Lobb, but I think those two youngsters sort of have looked really good. And was there Smalls as well, Frio? Um, you know, um, Lockie Schultz, Michael Walters, um, Bailey Banfield, Switkowski. Um, so I think that was um, really impressive, you know, like especially the key forwards, like I mentioned, Amos who had a big injury last year and sort of come back, high draft pick. Um, yeah, so I think that is, um, yeah, a few of the uh, nice individual performances for me. Nicely said. And Ash, I'll throw, throw it back to you for a quick question. If you were picking a rising star today, who gets your five votes? Sheasel or um, Ashcroft? I think it has to be Sheasel just based on his consistency across the year. I think Ashcroft has probably had a better more sort of high ceilings of, of games from what we've sort of seen this year, but Sheasel has definitely been more consistent. So I think um, he gets my five, um, Ashcroft gets my four, uh, and after that I probably have to start thinking a bit. Yeah, I'd probably say Mitch Owens from St. Yeah. Kilda would be like my third, and then Bailey Humphrey in recent weeks has been really impressive as well. Um, but... Yeah, I'm sure as the season goes on, um, you know, it's basically a two-horse race at the moment. just depends probably if one of them gets injured. So, Nathan, would you tend to agree that Sheasel's in front at the moment just based on the consistency that he's shown? Yeah, consistency and opportunity. I think Ashcroft is probably a better player, um, but purely because of the team that he's in and the players that he's surrounded by, he's probably not getting um, as much spotlight and opportunity as someone at Sheasel. So I think, you know, yeah, he'd be the front runner right now to win the award. All right, it's time to get into the negatives, and I'm going to kick us off. And uh, I'll tell you what, I am just sick of Michael Christensen as the match review officer. To give Tom Jonas a week for what I think is a pretty fair tackle, and I'm actually ashamed that Port Adelaide accepted this suspension. And, you know, people could go off in the comments saying that I'm Port Adelaide biased. If it was any other player, I would be saying exactly the same thing. And this gets back to, um, you know, legislation taking over the game, as Ash has talked about in previous weeks. And this is beyond stupidity for me. Like, that is a genuinely good tackle. The umpire paid holding the ball. It was holding the ball. The fact that he gets a week is just pure dog shit. I'm sorry. It's just pure dog shit. So uh, I don't know whether you blokes agree with me. I really hope you do. Otherwise, this might get a little bit awkward. But um, yes or no, Ash, was am I fair with my comments? No, I definitely, I definitely agree. Definitely agree. Oh, I can live with that. And Nathan? Agreed, and I think Port Adelaide accepted because Tom Jonas needs a week off anyway. He needs a rest. Yeah, I was, I'm trying to be nice to my captain and say that, uh, yeah, he might need to be managed this week. But, um, yeah, it's just it's just a bad thing for the game. And uh, I hate to throw the South Australian, like, bias, but if that is a Trent Cotchin, 
that gets thrown out, as we've seen in years gone by. So, uh, yeah, that's a bit of a rocket to, to Michael Christensen. Pull, pull your head in and uh, make some better decisions, I reckon. But in terms of, you know, some other things from the game, like the weekend, we've talked about the West Coast Eagles. We've talked about Richmond not getting it done when they probably should have. Um, the, Cro- the Crows losing in Ballarat was something that I was disappointed in. I think the Dogs are going to be a good side towards the end of the year, and I just think the Crows are a little bit off. I think some people probably went on the Crows a little bit early. I still think they're probably one season too early from making that jump into the eight. Um, I know Ballarat can be a tough place to play. I know the Crows won there last year as well, um, but I thought this game would have been a little bit closer, and it was 40, 40 points in the end. Um, the decision to manage Taylor Walker in this particular game would be questionable considering they're playing West Coast in a couple of weeks' time. Maybe the Crows are looking at percentage in that game, um, so they wanted to keep Tex nice and fresh. But, um, yeah, probably the Crows not being as competitive as some would have hoped. Um, that was probably my um, negative uh, from the weekend. Ash, anything that you would like to add in the negatives department? Uh, I'm I'm te- I'm tempting him, everyone. I'm tempting him. I'll I'll go on, I guess. Um, look, I'm, I'm trying not to make it too repetitive from last four weeks, whatever it's been. Just as I feel like I've sort of left it all out there. I told but, you it's our top rating segment. <laughs> it's our top rated segment. Um, look, I'm 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 done. <laughs> not 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 really, but um. I was sort of saying to um, Nathan pre-game, as someone who sort of played basketball for a long time and only really got into the NBA, into the NBA pretty close to this year, over the last month I've genuinely enjoyed watching the playoffs more than I have enjoyed watching Carton play. And th- and that's not because I'm I'm being a sook or I want to send a message. It's just because I, I don't find it exciting. I find both the way we play and the results very predictable. And it's honestly quite sad. Um, it's sad, and like I mentioned last week, I've got more more questions each week than I do have answers. Um, mm, uh, look, our inability to to kick or handball in, in pressure situations and, and make good decisions is, is just absolutely terrible. Um, there were other times where we used like um, Silvani as a spare man in defence and Collingwood was still able to sort of run around and hit a target with ease inside 50 and just the way which they scored goals was just so, so much easier than, than Carlton, you know, um, outside of Sam Walsh, you know, and maybe Cottrell. I don't think we really have any great runners um, in the midfield. You know, like I said, they can't run, they can't kick either. We don't have a lot of great kicks. Um Every time we went inside 50, it just felt like we were purposely looking for wherever Darcy Moore was and just kicking it right on top of his head. Every time we were kicking on transition, it looked like we were looking for Mason Cox and kicking it onto his head. Ah, look, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm just lost. You know, I, I feel like this is officially the death of this group. Um, you know, you feel it. In every aspect of the club, fans dead, coaches dead, players dead, board dead, um, and, and nothing is really working. You can 
clearly see the mindset of the leaders just seeping into the rest of the squad. You know, everything is safe. It's stagnant and it's boring. Um, and, and the thing is, some are saying, look at it and be like, oh, you played the top team and you only lost by four goals or whatever. But the performance and the style of play is way more concerning than the margin. And um, look, there are just so many problems with this football club. The list clearly isn't good enough and serious moves need to be made post-season. The leaders on the field are are beaten and battered. There are massive question marks in our tactics and the mindset given our slow starts um, so far this season. And we've just played the most boring football for the first 10 rounds. And it's, um, it's getting really hard. But I still have hope. I still have hope. He still has hope. You heard it here first, Ash, with his weekly Carlton rant. And uh, Nathan, just quickly, is there anything that you were particularly concerned about from the weekend's round of games? Well, look, I don't know how to follow up Ash's rant with a Crows rant, but I will sort of flag the Crows. It's concerning um, purely from the perspective that it's more so system over personnel. Obviously, we're missing players, but... You know, just because players are missing doesn't mean the system goes missing. Um, and, you know, you sort of mentioned before about Taylor Walker not playing. I think it's a conspiracy. Uh, I believe that he was managed this week so he can play his 250th um, at home against West Coast uh, rather than playing on the road, uh, which I don't mind. Look, you know, he's a club legend. I think, you know, it's exciting to be able to play a milestone game like that in your home fans. But, I think my biggest thing is I believe our midfield does need a bit of a shake-up and I think we need another mature senior body in there. Um, so I'm putting Jake Saligo on watch this week. He's had a couple of really soft, quiet weeks um, and I believe the move now needs to be made that Matt Crash needs to play AFL. He's a ball winner who, you know, is down in the trenches and gets the gets the footy when no other player wants to get the football and that's what we're missing at the moment. Um and whether he handballs 25 times and has 28 touches for the whole game, I don't care. We need players to put their head over the ball and go and win it. And at the moment, I don't think we've got a junior or a, you know, a young player that's ready to do that. So my flag to the Crows selection committee this week is pick Matt Crouch because in a game where we've got uh, classy midfielders in the, in the Brisbane team, we need someone like that. So... Um, that's my concern slash watch for this week is I think the Crows need to pick Matt Crouch. Matt Crouch is a bit of a god man. He was shopped around a little bit at the end of last year and couldn't get any bites. And I don't expect him to be at Adelaide next year. I think he'll exercise his free agency rights, which will make it a lot easier for, um, you know, clubs to, to pick him up. So, yeah, it will be a, a watch this space. Gentlemen, let's move into the AFL fantasy segment of our show. Now, it was a pretty high-scoring round across the board if you look at, you know, various scores, but uh, I scored 23.86. I'm reasonably happy with that. Um, Reasonably? I could only dream of a score like that. Mate, I'm all about improving that ranking. So for round 10, I finished... uh, in the top 2,500 for um, that week. My overall rank is still not great. It's in the 16,000s, but one step at a time. Um, I took the bait of Rowan Marshall playing against a very inexperienced Kieran Briggs 
He got me 110 as my captain, so 220. Not wasn't overly thrilled, but uh, I brought in Zach Butters um, instead of Jack Zebel because it was 80k break even was a little bit lower as well. Um, so that worked a treat on Friday night. Um, and shout out to uh, Seamus Mitchell, who plays for the Hawks. Uh, he ended up finishing with an 85. So he ended up playing on my ground um, two weeks in a row that Bailey Humphrey's got 90s and he's been on my bench. So um, thanks for that donut two weeks ago. Um, and he's been on the bench ever since. So, uh, yeah, I'll probably look to move some rookies this week, probably Tim Cotter. Um, if he doesn't get picked. Um, and I think it might be time for Luke Pedler to um, move on as well. He's been a good rookie. Maybe Ollie Hollands as well. I think it's probably time for him to go as well, particularly if he's still on your field, which he is for me. Nathan, fantasy, how'd you go? Uh, not as well this week. So I scraped over uh, the 2200 marks. So I've got 2201. Um, sitting pretty in the 26,000 uh, ranking position. I, I was probably lucky my trades last week were probably one week ahead of what everyone else was going to do this week. So I went ahead and actually got in George Wardlord um, and had him on field, which is an impressive debut. Um, and I also went out and got Lockie McAndrew um, from Sydney uh, because likely now this week I'll be moving Samson Ryan. Uh, which now means that I've got a, 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 a R3 there ready to go. Um, I put the vice captaincy on Errol Alden um, for the weekend, hoping that he went against North Melbourne and did exactly do that for me. I then decided to go, do you know what? Nick Dacos is going to have a field day against Carlton, and he didn't. So I've missed out on a captaincy score again this week, uh, which is disappointing, but... Um, you know, I'm hoping this week that I'll be able to do a little bit better. Um, in regards to some potential trades for me this week early on, I'm probably going to move on from Ruben Gimby. Um, I think, you know, he's probably now having more kicks than he is, uh, oh, sorry, more tackles than he is kicks, which isn't ideal. So season low of 24, so he goes out for me, I reckon. Um, I'll probably look to move in Humphreys from um, Gold Coast, He's got a lot of money still to make, uh, which I think coming into the buys is handy. Um, and then because of the trades I did last week, I'll probably look to get a premium in who that's going to be. I'm not too sure yet whether I go someone a little bit lower, like a Zach Butters to bank some money for next week or whether I go straight to the top and get someone like a Zach Merritt. I'm not too sure yet, but I've got some money to play with, which is exciting this week. Oh, we're all probably going to have to get rid of Clayton Oliver as well. Forgot to. Uh to mention that one. So yeah, Merritt might be, might be the week to, to get him in, or maybe if you want to pl- play the break even game and chase a bit of cash, it uh, might be the week to do so. Gentlemen, it was uh, fantastic to talk to you again on this Tuesday night on the Mojo Sports AFL show. Make sure you head over to the Instagram page at Mojo Sports AFL. Uh, the boys will be, Uh, ready to go with another show on Thursday night. So stay tuned for that one. They'll go through all the teams and preview uh, round 11 matches. So gents, thanks for joining me and uh, I'll see you next week. Thanks so much to those of you who are tuning in as well. We'll see you on our next episode. Cheers.